Good morning. It is a joy to see all of you here. And a joy <coughs> to be with you. I, if you have your copies of the scriptures, turn to Genesis 40. We are heading into the story of Joseph into more detail. Uh, there is, I, I was looking at the passage today, we're, we're covering 40 to 41. I was looking at the passage and trying to decide which parts of it I should read, and it is so good that I want to read all of it. But I'm going to have somebody else do that for me. Um, we'll try this. Uh, this is from a slightly different translation, but it, will, it, it captures the story very well. So if you turn this mic on now, we'll, we'll give this a shot. Chapter 40. Joseph interprets two dreams. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? he asked them. And they replied, We both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means. Joseph said, the three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh. But the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Chapter 41. Pharaoh's Dreams Two full years later, 
Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the river bank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams, so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I was standing on the bank of the Nile River, and I saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. But then I saw seven sick-looking cows, scrawny and thin, come up after them. I've never seen such sorry-looking animals in all the land of Egypt. These thin, scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows, but afterward... You wouldn't have known it, for they were still as thin and scrawny as before. Then I woke up. Then I fell asleep again, and I had another dream. This time I saw seven heads of grain, full and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were blighted, shriveled, and withered by the east wind. And the shriveled heads swallowed the seven healthy heads. I told these dreams to the magicians, but no one could tell me what they mean. Joseph responded, Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. 
But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Joseph made ruler of Egypt. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, zaphnath paneah He also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of An. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of An. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then, the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt.
And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. This is a passage that many of us have probably heard all our life, but as the narrator was reading it, two reasons I had the narrator read it. One is I couldn't pronounce those names. Um, the second is that sometimes when you hear it in a different voice, different translation, a different voice, things kind of, you arrive at different conclusions. One of the things that struck me as I listened to this uh, several different times is the whole picture of these thin cows coming up to eat the fat cows. That it must have been quite the dream. And uh, it, it wasn't just because Pharaoh had bad food before he went to bed. Uh, th- this is something that God wanted to do. I do, however, want to kind of go back now to the beginning and, and think a little bit about the life of Joseph. <clears throat> what is God ultimately doing in Genesis? That's one of the questions we need to entertain as we look at this passage. Because uh, this is more than just a good moral story of somebody who is well-behaved, and it turns out good for him. That the Bible, uh, while that happens to Joseph, um, that there's a bigger narrative, a bigger theme going on, and we need to understand that well in order to understand how the story of Joseph and Judah fit in that. First of all, uh, God created the world, and one couple, Adam and Eve, and then man sinned, humanity sinned, and... And then the story of Noah. And after the story of Noah, the next principal character is Abram. And God says, I'm going to raise up a people that are going to bless the land. And, and this, the, the rest of the book of Genesis is about the raising up of that people. And, and how God is, is designing a world, a kingdom, where his law is strong. In the middle of that, we have this story of Joseph. So this is about building... Uh, something much bigger than Joseph. Now, note how the passage starts in, in chapter 40. Sometime after this. And then in verse 4 again it says, uh, they continued for some time in custody. And the, the Hebrew for that section is, is it means a, a long turning of the time. A long turning of the wheel of time. So, so we, it's easy for us to read this and we think about the story of Potiphar's wife uh, that Chris ably shared from uh, last week about how Joseph resisted uh, Potiphar's wife, but, and then Joseph was imprisoned. And, and by the way, the keeper of the prison is Potiphar. It, it, it is no one but Potiphar. So Joseph is put in prison, and he continues there for some time, and it, it, it means a slow turning of time. And when you're stuck in that place... When, when life doesn't, when life, when the issues of life press in, and it, it doesn't seem like anything is changing. How many of you have been at that place where you think, do I have to get up tomorrow morning, do the same thing I did this morning? What, what, like, what is the real purpose of life? And, and, and I'm sure that Joseph felt that. Now, Joseph could have been consumed by self-pity, and uh, he could have said, this is very unjust, and it was. Joseph is unjustly imprisoned. He's kidnapped from his family. And, and he could have lived in that place. And no one would blame Joseph for, for speaking against the injustices that are happening. He, he does do that. He speaks against them. 
But, but there is something unique about Joseph in that when he's in prison, he, he, the, the, so, so these other two guys get put in prison. And it's here that Joseph keeps serving just the way he did in Pharaoh's house. He, just, he does the same things. He lives the same way that he did in Pharaoh's house. And he, th- these men are put in, in his charge. And he, and he serves them. Now, these two guys who are here, they're, they're pretty big guys. Uh, how do you kill some... One of the easiest ways to kill someone is to poison them. Uh, like, um, and especially in the ancient world, poison was a much more accepted form of murder. So each pontiff, each king, each ruler would have two people. One of them would taste all his drink. So, so somebody uh, sends the king <clears throat> a bottle of wine, and, and, uh, and the pharaoh would never drink that wine first. He'd never take the top. Somebody would open the bottle of wine, pour a little bit into a cup, and take a drink. And if he didn't die, it wasn't poison. That's quite the job to have, isn't it? It's like secret service, food secret service. The baker was responsible they had uh, lots of baked that was one of the staples because they had grains in Egypt. The baker was responsible for everything that was baked, and there again, it's, it requires ingredients, and you could add poisons. And so these are two very uh, responsible positions, and for some reason, they're thrown into prison. Uh, Joseph meets them there, and, and, and they, by the providence of God, they have these dreams in, in, in the night. And, and Joseph is alert enough to notice and, and ask them, why do you guys look so troubled? Now, think about the fact that they're dreams. I have dreams all the time, and I'm not telling you most of them. I think some of mine come from eating ice cream too late or something like that. But uh, these guys, the, the cupbearer had a dream about cup, the cup. The baker had a dream about his food. And... And so it, it, it's directly linked to why they're in prison. And in, in verse 14 and 15, or, or the chief cupbearer told his dream in verse 9 to, to Joseph. And, uh, and Joseph says that interpretation belongs to God. And, and, and he tells him the interpretation. And he says, in three days you're going to be free. Uh, re, he will lift up, Pharaoh will lift up your head. That literally means to put him back into his place. And uh, he said, uh, by the way, when you're being put back into place, remember me. Please don't forget about me. I was stolen out of the land of the, the Hebrews, and I have done nothing that they should put me in pit. So sometimes it's easy for us to look back at the life of Joseph and think about him being this kind of humble person who just kind of takes what happens. He is not that. He said, this was wrong. I am unjustly imprisoned. But, he, but in that injustice, he keeps going. So, uh, and then he tells the other, the other guy tells his dream. And I love the way uh, Joseph says this in verse 19. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. And uh, <clears throat> the, the, it is actually impaled. The ancient Egyptians would, would um, execute people. Then they'd hang them up as a sign. And apparently, the chief... Baker had done something that was really bad. Maybe tried to put something in, in Pharaoh's bread, but he is killed. Now, so, so in three days, it's Pharaoh's birthday. These guys get out, and, they, and uh, 
they're restored. Uh, the, the, no, wait. The, wine, the, the, the cupbearer is restored. The baker is not. The baker is executed. And now note how verse 41 begins. Chapter 41. Chapter 41 begins. After two whole years. By the way, uh, Joseph was two for two in his interpretations. Um, And so after two whole years, and the Hebrew here is indicative of a long time. And when you're stuck in, in places where it doesn't feel like your life is moving, where you're, you're, you're in prison, whatever that prison is, whether it's literally or not, it, it, time slows down to a crawl. And every day, Joseph faced the same things. Prison. Uh, the, and I, and it's fortuitous that in the reading of this, uh, we, we, I had to stop and, and move the uh, translation to, to uh, chapter 41. I, I was thinking about pausing a long time there. Because it's, it's so easy <coughs> for us to read this and think, okay, so Joseph, it all turned out good for Joseph. In the middle of that, those spaces, when we're in the middle of those spaces, it, we don't know whether it's going to turn out good. Now... Um, and so then, then you switch gears. So, so after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. And we, we talked about the dream, so we're going to move right down through that. And, and, uh, and it, it becomes Joseph's moment. So, so he's at, he was at work in Potiphar's house. He worked hard there. He, he lived the same way in Potiphar's house. He lived the same way in prison. And he becomes known for being a kind, compassionate person. It is his kindness and his compassion and his honesty after three days, your head will be lifted up from your body. He's being real and honest. And, and a pharaoh calls him in. Now think about this. Joseph is in prison doing what he does every other day in prison. Now, whatever that is. Cleaning up the muck or whatever it is. And, and they come running and say, Hey, you need to go to Pharaoh. And this guy says, Well, you need to go to Pharaoh's house. You need to get ready. Joseph like, Pharaoh's house? What, what is this? And... Yeah, Pharaoh's house. Didn't you interpret dreams? Don't you interpret dreams? And then Joseph, I'm sure Joseph immediately thought of the cupbearer. And he thought, it finally paid off. But um, he goes in and, and, he, and he meets Pharaoh. Now note uh, several things. Uh, just, I want you to note several things. Verse 14. And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They quickly brought him out of the pit. He shaved himself. Uh, Egyptians shaved, by the way. Egyptians were one of the cult- few cultures in that world that shaved. When you see pictures of their pharaohs, this is really fascinating. When you see pictures of the queens, the pharaoh's wives, they put fake beards on the queens. Yeah, there's, a, there's a picture in one of the pyramids of a woman who has a long beard. I, I guess styles change maybe in our lifetime. Uh, anyway, uh, so invest in the fake beard. Anyway, uh, and when he, he shaved himself, he changed his clothes, he came in before pharaoh. And think about this moment for Joseph where he kind of arrives at the place. And uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that you can hear it. When you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer. And it's in that moment that you see what Joseph 
what made Joseph prosperous. It is not Joseph's own. Joseph easily could have said in that moment, yeah, sure, go tell me your dream. But he understands and recognizes that unless God speaks to him in that moment, he will be either put back into prison or executed on the spot. But he understands that God is bigger than Pharaoh. Now, the Egyptians had a whole plethora of gods. They had many gods. And, uh, and it, it goes, it, God will give Pharaoh an answer. And then, then he told him his dream again. And, uh, and then Joseph... Well, let me say one more thing about that. Uh, the Pharaoh considered himself God. The Pharaoh in their culture was the God. Similar to uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, remember the king in that world was considered incarnate, Nebuchadnezzar. And it's the same thing is true in the Egyptian culture, that the Pharaoh considered himself uh, God. And he told Pharaoh, Joseph told Pharaoh, who considered himself God, that the God, and it's the, it's the distinctive there, the God, ha-Elohim, the only God, will give Pharaoh an answer. And in that, you see something about uh, Joseph. Now, Joseph is from the family of Abraham. He's what, a great-great-grandson of Abraham or great-grandson of Abraham. And, and he comes from a family who worships uh, this Elohim, the only true God. And they are monotheistic in, the, in that they believe there is only one God. And, they, and, and Joseph has a lot of guts to stand up before the God of the Egyptians and say, no. The true God is going to give you your dream. Uh, and, and in essence, what Joseph is saying is, you think you're a big shot? Let me introduce you to the real God. And three times in this section, verse 25, verse 28, and verse 32, Joseph attributes the outcome of Pharaoh's dreams to God. Uh, uh, when Joseph appear, uh, got, was before Pharaoh... You know, our humanness would say, this is your chance, buddy. Here's your chance. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him how everything that happened. Tell him what kind of guys your brothers are. Tell him what kind of woman Potiphar's wife is. Tell him what, what it's like to be in prison for two years, so, cleaning out whatever muck and dirt and so on. Here's your chance. And, and Joseph does not do that. Joseph says instead, uh, and, and Joseph says instead, I will tell you what the, your dream is, and then, but it is in God's hands. Uh, and, and he says, the only God I serve is the true God. And, and we know the story. We know what happened. So, so Pharaoh says, boy, oh boy, this guy is smart. How did I miss him? And he, he's like, this is so good what the guy says. And so now Joseph is suddenly, in, the, in one day's time, he's elevated from being a prisoner to being second in command through all of Egypt. And he is, the, the, Pharaoh takes off his signet ring. The signet ring was Pharaoh's signature stamp. So they would put clay around things, and the, and the Pharaoh would take his signet ring, and into that wet clay he'd press his, his ring, and it would put the mark of the Pharaoh there. So when he gives uh, him that signet ring, he is able to sign all the checks of Egypt. And by the way, what else did he put on, 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 uh, uh, on Joseph? What else did he give him? He gave him something else. Say it. Robe. Now wait, a robe. 
I, it doesn't say it's a robe of fine linen, but in, in that sense, suddenly, I, you have to think that Joseph thought back to that moment when his dad walked out and said, you're my favorite son, let me put this robe, the kingly robe on you. And suddenly, at 30 years old, after 15 years, uh, 13 years of hardship, he gets that moment when that cloak is put around his shoulders, and he is second in the command. When he drives through Egypt in his limo, Everyone is supposed to kneel down and, and say, when they see him, they say, oh, oh, there goes the second in command. By the way, I wonder what happened to the previous second in command. And, and suddenly Joseph is in this position. And, 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 and he is so able at what he does. And, and we know a little bit more about Joseph. So, so he says, there's seven fruitful years. And, and he, he stocks up. But there's two other thi- one other thing I want to I show you yet about Joseph before we go. To, to how does this work in our lives today? Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife. The first one was named Manassas. Did you note how, what Joseph says about his son's names? God has made me forget all my troubles and my father's household. Do not think for an instant that every day that he was in Potiphar's house and that he was in prison, he didn't think back to the pain of that moment when his brothers threw him into that pit. If you think you can forget something like that, just try forgetting it. And it, 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 it strikes me that Joseph is saying, God is at work in redeeming my world and his world. So, so the first son he, he, he names, God has made me forget all my troubles with my father's household. And it's Joseph saying, you know what, I recognize where this comes from. The second son he names, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And uh, that's pretty powerful because he's saying, in the land of my affliction, and he's the leader in the land of the affliction. And, so, and the story kind of stops for today there. But I, but I wish to kind of think through that a little bit and say, you know, it is so easy for us to look at someone like Joseph and we think, oh, wow, look how that worked out. And what, what is about Joseph that made him work out? And we try to figure out which gift he had and, and what all he did and all this stuff. The only thing that I know to say about Joseph is that he was faithful. And he kept doing the same things over and over again. He lived with integrity, he lived with honesty, and he lived with trust in God. And and I've been thinking about that, and I've been thinking about how easy it is for us as Christians to kind of, to kind of, uh, well, to think about the fact that, that, oh, if we're obedient... Everything will work out. You know what? Sometimes in life, it doesn't work out. The story of Joseph, he does, it does work out that he becomes, the, he becomes who God has called him to be. And, and, and yet there are many other accounts in Scripture where people died for their faith and throughout history. The point is not about how, what they end up with the end. The point of the Scriptures is not about with what they end up with at the end, whether they're the king or whether they're a martyr. The point is how they lived in that time. 
And, and so that, uh, it brings us back to this, this story of Joseph. It, we're kind of at the vantage point in the story where, where we can look backwards into the life of Joseph and say he's 30 years old. He's a middle-aged man. And, and uh, he has suffered uh, 13 years of really hard things, separation from his family and all that. But we can also look forward because we know the end of the story. Sometimes I wish we didn't know the end of the story of these stories, but we know the end of the story. In a few short weeks, his brothers are going to come. His dad is going to say to these wonderful brothers of Joseph, go back home, I'll go down to Egypt, and then bring some grain back home. And, the, and, and we'll explore that as we come. But... I, I just I, I was thinking about that, and I, there's a couple things I just want to point out to us. Had Joseph not said no to Potiphar's wife, I want to point us back to last Sunday's sermon, where Joseph was strong enough to say no to the temptation of the strange gods. And I, it's worded like that. The, the Hebrew uh, views physical adultery in the same way that it views spiritual adultery in most cases. And in that case, Joseph is saying, I can't sin against God. I can't sin against my master, and I can't sin against my God. And Joseph was strong enough, and that no to Potiphar's wife was what led to him having that robe put around him. It is also true that Joseph had no guarantee that his obedience would lead to a position of prosperity and power. And it, it, as I was thinking about that, I, I began to think about what is it that God calls us to be? And what is it that God calls us to do? How does this story speak to us? I, I was thinking about a couple passages. One, one that has been mistranslated so many times is in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. Uh, if... Um, uh, there was a stage in my life where I thought, if I hear that verse one more time, I'm going to smack that guy in the nose. Because people would w- yield that verse whenever you're going through difficult times. Well, you can just remember that all things will work out good. You know, Job is one of those stories that I don't know what to do with in Scripture. But at the end of the st- story, Job has children, but he does not have the f- for his first children back. You know, he still has to live with the grief of that. And one of the things that the story of Joseph reminds us of regularly is that the pain that we have had in life will stay with us all our lives. What we do with it is our choice. And if you've experienced pain, and I know enough about some of your stories to know that you have, you think about the hardest thing that you've faced emotionally and spiritually at the level of pain. And you think about that and you think, how can I live above the power of that to run my life? Because Joseph did. Now, I'm not saying forget it. I think you have to remember it every day and I think that you take it to Jesus every day. I was, I'm thinking about these abuse victims that we've heard so much about in our news. They're going to have to live with the pain of what happened to them, perpetrated on them, just like Joseph did. And they're going to have children in the future. If they are, they may name them things like, I have overcome the pain of my life. 
Because that's what Joseph did. But you know what? Please don't try to not remember it. And please don't try to harden your heart to not feel it. Someone gave me a very profound words of advice about pain once. He said, the same capacity that you have to experience pain is the capacity you have to experience joy. And when we try to push down our pain and act like it's not there and act like it doesn't exist, oh, it didn't hurt very much, we can't experience joy. I once had a student, and none of you know this person, and we were working on a, a, on a, on a project that was at SMBI, and we were redoing the building, and we had the students help one night. And he was up in the attic cutting insulation. And he reached out with his uh, utility knife, and he sliced a piece of insulation and sliced right into the, his hand right here. Deep. And I said, oh, will that need stitches? And he reached out with his fingers and squeezed it shut like that and said, it doesn't hurt. I've decided it doesn't hurt. That's a physical thing. But he also lived his life emotionally. I happen to know that he had had a great deal of pain emotionally. Abuse, pain, and so on. And he had decided that he is going to live his life like it doesn't hurt. And I saw him about a year ago. And I was in a, in a place where there was a, a great deal of joy and praise and worship. And he stood there like a, a rock. Nothing touched him. Joseph is touched by his pain. He's so touched by it that he names his first offspring, his first son. God has brought deliverance to me from the pain of my father's house. How about your pain? How about your being stuck in prison? How about the injustices done to you? What have you done with them? I can't guarantee you that you'll, someday you'll be raised up and a robe put around your shoulders, and the whole world will see that you were right and those who brought that pain to you were wrong. Well, I can guarantee that that will happen. I just can't guarantee that it'll be on earth. I believe what that passage in Romans is saying is that when we live like Joseph did with the fact that God is supreme and that God is bigger than us, the things that happen to us do not have to derail us. And rather, God is a redeeming God and he'll bring redemption. It doesn't mean we shouldn't speak against the injustices. It doesn't mean we shouldn't speak out. It means that ultimately we live with the fact that God is a redeemer. And we also see in this story that Joseph is a kind of Jesus in that he is going ahead of his family and offering redemption to the world, to his world. And in the same way, Jesus did that for us. Let's stand together. Chris, I'll let you close. Thank you, Marcus, for that sermon. Um, we do have a carry-in lunch that is prepared for everyone. Everyone is welcome to stay. We'd love to have each person stay. So why don't we pause for prayer? We'll bless the food, and then we'll make our way back. Thank you, God, for being here in our midst. 
Thank you for speaking to us through the life of Joseph. Thank you that you have showed us, given us the story of Joseph to show us who you are, but to show us also who we are. Thank you that you're a God who redeems. We're so grateful for that this morning. God, I pray that you would bless each person that's here. I pray that this, what we heard this morning would go with us, and that we would actually we would live and act on what we heard. Thank you for the, the food that we have prepared. I pray that you would bless those that have worked so hard in preparing it. God, we thank you that you are our provider, and we acknowledge that it is a gift from you. And I pray you bless our fellowship around the food as well. Dismiss us with your blessing. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.